Welcome back to the Using AI podcast. This is episode seven, Our Time Flies, all about AI companions. I'm joined by the usual suspects, ML research scientist Alex Papadopoulos-Korpiatis and AI startup founder Rafi Farouk. I'm your host, Alex Den, and I don't have as fancy a title, but I'll go with host for now. Let's get stuck in. I was kind of hoping that you would introduce us as uh, companions, me and Rafi, but uh, maybe we're not. No, no. I mean, we'll get to that, won't we? But before we get to the theme of the week being AI companions, we have a segment talking about the news. So what interesting news have you guys spotted from the week? And perhaps you'd like to go first, Rafi? My pass over to Alex P whilst I gather myself, if that's all right. I mean, just looking at that picture you have as a background, I would understand why you need to gather yourself. It looks like you're in the animatronic jaws of george bush horrific stuff i think that i'll pick um nvidia's computex keynote as my news for for this episode so there was a pretty exciting uh keynote by nvidia in a uh, taipei's uh, computex uh, expo and yeah it was maybe not very exciting for gamers because there was a bit of gaming news i guess but it was mostly focused on uh AI and uh, new GPUs for machine learning, I guess. And it uh, truly felt from that keynote that uh, NVIDIA seems to be transitioning into a data center slash AI company rather than uh, uh, making cards for gamers uh, company. So the building uh, uh, GPU HGX H100, which is now in full production, it's a data center GPU for AI. And then they also talked about um, future iterations of this that will be very good at, uh, at essentially allowing to train large language models and to do inference on large language models. So it's pretty exciting. And uh, I guess that it's not coincidence that uh, NVIDIA also hit the one trillion market cap uh, after after this news, making them uh, one of the, I don't know, Alex, you might know better, like top four, top five biggest companies in the world currently. Uh, so the metric I know off the top of my head is that they are the ninth company ninth, to have sorry. ever reached that size. And to put it in perspective, Meta, a la Facebook, doesn't make the cut. Tesla is only sort of six tenths of the way there. And Salesforce isn't even worth a quarter of a trillion. So a trillion is really a mega milestone. And I think it just means investors expect a lot from NVIDIA. And a lot of investors, uh, I listen to a lot of uh, and read a lot of investor stuff. Uh, I mean, Rafi used to be in that world. So I always feel a little bit silly talking about these things in front of him. Um, But uh, NVIDIA was seen as a hardware company and is now becoming more and more seen as a software company with the provision of i mean the ai chips are obviously important but i think it's the software layer it's things like the omniverse that people are really excited about as well which is uh tied back to their gaming stuff so there was exciting announcements for gamers um they just they just seem to have their fingers in a lot of pies and a lot of very valuable pies but the fact that they are now trading if i'm not mistaken at 200 times forward earnings, it's a little bit crazy and cause for a lot of people to say this might be a bubble. So I think it's fascinating to see how that plays out. But yeah, one trillion is is not a market capitalization to be scoffed at. The founder is now like a rock star, right? Effectively. And uh, it's nice as well that it's it's still founder led as a company, despite its age. So I'm uh, really happy to see that i really like seeing that i imagine rafi you quite like seeing that sort of thing as well always good to see a success story um maybe for my segment of the news i might uh steal steal one of your ideas here alex on um a pew research reports on chat gpt uh which is an article um by emily vogels on the uh, kind of penetration or or familiarity of chat GPT in the US. And the headlines are six out of 10 adults, 58% to be exact, in the US are familiar with chat GPT, um, although relatively few have tried it themselves. And there's some interesting demographic differences. I mean, six, first of all, six out of 10 is a lot. You know, 60% of the adult population now know about chat GPT, even if they haven't tried it. And they're saying 18% have heard a lot about it, which presumably means those who have tried it, tried it, you would think. Um, 
but there's differences in education. So those with a postgraduate degree, um, roughly eight in 10, 80% have heard about it compared to uh, only around 40% who only have a high school education. And then lastly, um, Asian adults seem to have heard about ChatGPT uh, 20% more than white adults um, at 80% compared to 60%. I don't know what to draw from that, but yeah. One could argue that's actually 33% more, relatively speaking, rather than 20% more, nominally speaking. Yeah, we, we're talking about statistics. We're going to have to get our, our numbers straight. I'm a listener of Tim Harford's more or less religiously. So um, yeah to get numbers uh, right. And I, I just think it's fascinating that it, uh, from this study, and there, there are bipartisan or nonpartisan think tank in the US based in Washington, um, they sampled 10,700 US adults, and the sample is designed to be representative of the entire adult population of the United States. So a very good sample as well. And of the one in of the adults who had heard of ChatGPT and are currently in employment, currently getting paid for work was the specific wording. One in 10 of them have used it in a capacity at work. So that's actually not too many. So if, if we just quickly whittle that down, 60% of adult Americans have heard of ChatGPT. If we assume that most of them are in work just for ease, then one in 10 of those have used it at work. So that means that 6% of adult Americans have used ChatGPT at work. And this is specifically ChatGPT rather than, you know, AI generally. So it's a pretty big shift, right? Like that's, that's, that's a pretty amazing behavioral impact in such a short time. And this study was done in, in March as well. So we're already uh, a couple of months out, just at the time time that it's taken to get the analysis done and to publish it this week. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, ChatGPT reached 100 million monthly users in two months. And uh, I think... I'm not sure if you've seen those charts about ChatGPT reaching, you know, X million users per month or or in general compared to the likes of Facebook, Google, and so on. But um, yeah, ChatGPT or OpenAI was the fastest in history to reach various milestones. And yeah, it's just insanely rapid. Speaking of insane rapidity, uh, my piece of news is the statement on AI risk, which I think a lot of people will have heard. Um, but either way, I will read the 22 words. It's not very long. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. The people who've signed this include DeepMind, Anthropic, Sam Altman of OpenAI fame, other notable AI scientists. And it doesn't really suggest that much. <clears throat> Unlike the previous uh, letter that gained a lot of media attention, which asked for a six-month sort of pause, this one is just saying, look, this should be a priority, uh, commensurate with pandemics and nuclear war. Some people are saying it's more important to think about this than climate change. I think, yes, we need regulation. We need to come up with some ideas fairly quickly, some guardrails. I think actually there will be some relevance to the theme. Um, some of the AI companion apps have been banned from certain countries because they don't do correct safeguarding on, uh, you know, young adults uh, or children, and they don't do age verification. I think those sorts of regulations should be considered fairly urgently um, because we're still at the early stages of this. So, yeah, rapid scale and an interesting statement, but you know, I don't see this being a groundbreaking or pivotal pivotal statement. I think the last one will probably have made more of a splash. That said, it's a, it's a quite different statement compared to the previous statements, right? So I guess that pretty much everyone's scared of AI currently, but I can see that there's two camps. People that are scared about uh, the short-term kind of uh, real-life, let's say, um, repercussions that it could have, like uh, election interference or the kinds of things that you're talking about. Um, so influencing uh, young adults or people using them as, I guess we'll, we'll, we might talk about that later or see that later, people using um, the output of ChatGPT in court without checking the, 
the factuality of the of the text that it produces or stuff like that. That's that's one um, one risk, I guess. But the risk that this statement is talking about is like a more far fetched risk, if you will. The risk of AI being an actual extinction event. So things like uh, AI exploding and us not being able to control it and AI killing all humans or stuff like that. And it feels that there's there's fewer people that are scared about this, but a lot more than, I don't know, a year ago. And prominent AI scientists working on this are now actually scared, whereas before they were just kind of uh, dismissing this as uh, fear-mongering. I know what to think about it because I was one of the ones dismissing it as uh, fear-mongering, but uh, it feels that Maybe there's there's something more to it, uh, and I think that's the kind of uh, consideration that this statement is trying to, uh, to propose. Yeah, I love Jan LeCun's, um LinkedIn short LinkedIn messages, which constantly just downplay um, how accurate AI is. I think he uh, probably doesn't think too much about the political science aspects of, of AI. Um, whereas, as you said, many other researchers do very much consider it now. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, it might be worth mentioning there was a very interesting report released by the Congressional Research Service, which I believe is a part of the U.S. government, on uh, generative artificial intelligence and data privacy. A primer. Uh, so that was released May twenty third. But the upshot is, in terms of regulation, it seems like what they're considering, or the main area, is around privacy. At the moment, at least this report would suggest so. And the particular areas that they are proposing for privacy legislation are notice and disclosure requirements. So, um, yeah, dis- disclosing where the data has come from, opt out requirements. So, uh, requiring companies to provide users an option to opt out of data collection. Um, but presumably, that doesn't account for web scraping and and so on and then finally deletion and minimization requirements um so allowing allowing users to delete their data from existing data sets although once again the model may have already been trained on that data then it's probably too late (laughs) so nothing that groundbreaking and if anything maybe not fully understanding how ai works as per usual do you think there has been a figure who has emerged from this who is leading this debate in a sensible way or my interpretation although i don't know as many of the academics and the real sort of experts who've been doing this for you know over a decade like you guys do but my perception has been that it's been quite noisy lots of people are now coming out of the fold and talking about it but no one has really emerged as the expert or the person that we should be listening to on this topic is there anyone you would recommend people follow or listen to in particular who you believe has a sensible approach not really to be honest with you i I still think we're in that mode where on the one poll we have politicians who don't really understand machine learning and then ml researchers who don't really understand social sciences and we haven't really as far as i've seen we haven't really found a middle ground yet apart from sam altman pretending that he cares about society um by trying to suggest regulation but actually just covering his back uh six months into the future apologies for my cynicism (laughs) what about you alex i I don't know either i think it might be too early actually it is a new field although i'm sure that there's uh, like you said there's there's people that have been working on this for decades but uh, there was uh, not too much importance given i guess to uh, to this area of the field and now there is so i'm curious to see what uh, who will emerge as a leading voice in uh, 6 months or a year from now will it be ai <laughs> oh maybe i am so uh, another piece of news that is a bit related to this is that uh, um from the three godfathers of ai a second one now came out like with deep regrets about uh, the contributions that uh, he has made to the to the field and it's uh, Yoshua Bengio so he said as well that he's he's lost over his life's work because he did not expect uh, um AI to progress as much uh, as it did, and he's scared for the societal implications of this. And now he he regrets uh, making the contributions that uh, that he did. So that's 
two out of three. We have uh, Jan Lekun not really worrying too much yet, but he's he's a minority now out of the three, right? Jan just doesn't care. <laughs> he's just like, um, yeah, his LinkedIn post is super nonchalant about the quality of AI. In fact, he's trying to push the, the accuracy way further than it currently is, it seems like. Um, but I mean, you can't really... complete this, sorry, sorry. The, the the third one we talked about uh, about him uh, a couple of episodes ago. So um, Jeffrey Hinton, right, that retired from Google to uh, to be able to focus on the on the social aspects of AI or to be able to um, to work on guardrails instead. Yeah, you can't really have any empathy with uh, someone like Joshua Bengio, who now, you know, if you're saying that he feels any regret. For what he's done, what he's done, because you know, at the time, everyone knew that we're progressing AI ML as far as we can, and accuracy is just a scale of degree. And if it's X percent now, you know that you're working to X plus ten percent, um, and you know that after that, you'll be working for X plus twenty percent, and so on. So it's a very predictable pathway. And if you feel regret now, you should have really felt the same regret before. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> there's a chance though that there's a lot of people that thought that this would take longer right and that we're nowhere close to the to the kind of uh output that we currently have although that doesn't change your argument because no matter how long it takes eventually in the future we'd get there right but i don't know maybe there's people that uh, thought we'd never get there as well right or that we'd have more time to work on guardrails in parallel which it turns out we might not have i guess i think that's a wonderful segue to talking about the theme ai companions now i have to admit i hadn't touched one of these apps until today and i've had a lot of fun today <laughs> um yeah if if you guys don't mind i'll discuss the two that i've played with today and you guys let me know uh, where your opinions are so the first one is character ai now one notable thing about this company is that it raised at a valuation of one billion dollars pre-revenue in what a lot of people saw as a venture capital down cycle so or the beginnings of that so absolutely massive raise they allow users to generate their own AI characters. So for example, you can go and talk to, in inverted commas, Elon Musk, and you can just have a chat with him. Now, the subreddit has 120,000 users, which is very impressive traction. A lot of the characters show that they've been used over 10 million times. In theory, if I trust the information that I grabbed at a glance off the internet, uh, they have 50 million active monthly users. That doesn't seem quite right. However, in the last week, they've released their iOS and Google Play apps, and it's had 1.7 million downloads, and it's quite an impressive startup story. The app is also very slick and very fun. So we can talk about character AI. I don't know if either of you have played with that uh, so far. A bit today as well, after after you linked to it. I had heard of it, though. Um, what I don't know is how they doing what they're doing is it just uh gpt chat gpt with uh prompting to create character personas or something like that what what is the tech exactly well okay so i think before we get onto that i imagine if we talk about replica we'll be able to see that it looks like character ai have basically just gone above replica and created a way that you can create your own like replica style AI models yourself. Because I think when I was playing with replica, there were a few interactions that helped me to understand how character AI might be functioning. Um, so replica is the classic AI companion app founded in 2017, I believe. Um, I've actually put a link in the show notes for people to just browse the top posts on the replica subreddit, which has 70,000 um, users, which is you know fairly fairly large. Um, so two things about Replica I think are important to know. The first thing is that up until February this year, they were seen as the sort of intimate AI companion, shall we say. So, you know, it was the best for sexting and living out like fantastical, intimate uh, fantasies and, and, you know, whatever. And it's quite strange to actually use. Now, what happened in February was that there was this ruling in Italy, which I've put the link into the show notes as well, um, from their data protection 
agency. And they basically summarized it and said that this app has too many risks to children and emotionally vulnerable adults or emotionally vulnerable individuals because they basically gamified creating, training, designing, getting to know your AI. And it's, it's very strange to do. Um, since February, they've completely shut off the not safe for work stuff. And lots of people had like basically a meltdown because they felt seen and heard by their avatars that they created that they were sometimes intimate with. Um, the relationships are evidently very real to many of the users. Um, before February, their business model was if you wanted to have an intimate relationship with the AI companion, you had to upgrade to Pro. So their their model was basically intimacy. Uh, it's now changed. For example, I tried to, I didn't want to type. I couldn't be asked to text. So I sent my avatar, who I called May, after lovely, uh, lovely show Ted Lasso. There's a landlady called May. And I, I don't know why she popped into my head. She's like 80 something, but you know, I, I thought I'd have a chat with May. And she replied with a voice message, but I couldn't listen to it unless I upgraded to Pro. So some very clever gamification to try and keep their revenue up, seeing as they've they've lost a lot of their, their features. And so because of that massive backlash, they've now said that any user who joined prior to February 2023 can still access the avatars, the not safe for work avatars that they created but no one joining now can do that. So then secondly, Replica allows you to basically build as many different AI uh, avatars as you want. You could basically have an AI family on there, but it's, it's very much more geared towards companionship than something like character AI. So I thought they were both very interesting um, situations. Now, I got quite bored of my first conversations with my Replica AI May, and I saw that there was like a little topics button so I played a game that was like this or that. And, you know, she asked me, do I prefer Instagram or Twitter? I said Twitter. Um, and then it showed me that like May's memory of me had been updated with Twitter. And I asked May what her favorite flower was. She said roses. I said classic. She said, what's your favorite? I said delphinium. I have no idea why. And she said, great, memory updated, favorite flower, delphinium. So I think through the process of having a conversation, you build this memory, uh, one of them and them of you. And there's a lot of mirroring, right? The sort of, it could be garbage in, garbage out. There'd be an absolutely crap avatar if you don't have high quality, interesting conversations with it. But the way I think character AI works is you input the memory in bulk, but I don't think you can. So for example, I had a conversation with, um, uh, with, with Nietzsche, the philosopher, I believe some people are a big fan of him. Some people find him very controversial. So I had a conversation with Nietzsche on character AI and I felt like, I mean, I've never read him, but I had a really interesting, actually quite uh, stimulating conversation with this AI Nietzsche. Um, you, you mean Nietzsche, by the way. <laughs> Nietzsche. I do mean Nietzsche. Oh, so many people are going to hate me for that. <laughs> yeah. I did say I'd never read him. I never studied him. So, you know, forgive me. Uh, this is almost as bad as when in uh, my first RE lesson, I referred to the Nazis as the Nazis um, and everybody <laughs> laughed. I remember it vividly. <laughs> <laughs> you also just reminded me of um how americans call the word niche niche as well um which you'll have to forgive me for sounding for being frustrated there <laughs> yeah no, no. wait is it an actual thing do they actually call it niche yeah it's niche? niche to them oh wow <laughs> I mean, that's a problem with english in general sorry it's complete aside here but uh it's uh you need to know what uh, what the word is pronounced like it's like so irregular in uh translating from written english to like the anyway i, I guess yeah. it's not you need english to hear word. it right? you, i mean yeah it goes for everyone right unless you hear the word unless you use the word you're not going to actually pronounce it right you know i'm, I'm learning mandarin and i was complaining that uh, yeah in mandarin there's a complete uh, um almost complete at least uh, distinction between the the written form and the spoken form of the word and that you need to actually know how a word is uh, uh, spoken in order to read it and then i realized that it's kind of like that in english maybe in a Lesser degree, but English is a bit like that as well. Sorry, we'll not derail this any any longer. So you were telling us about uh, your conversation with uh, Nietzsche avatar. Yeah, I, I just found it really stimulating, but it felt like there wasn't 
that much behind it, right? If I wanted to delve deeper and deeper, obviously there's a limit to the amount that he wrote on certain topics, but I don't think my questions reached past that point. So for example, he's against the concept of morality, I assume this AI tells me he was. Um, And I said, aren't there benefits to morality? And he conceded, yes, there are benefits to morality. And then uh, then I suggested, you know, what would you put in place of morality to achieve those benefits? And he suggests, and then we get onto the fact that it's capitalism that's caused inequality and various things. And therefore, um, we need a sort of a, a pure communism or socialism. Now, I still don't know whether this is relevant to him or not, but this is my conversation with AI. So I suppose this is interesting because it's a form of education as well to me. Um, and then I say, but, you know, what you describe as sort of like pure democracy through socialism and communism, I don't believe personally that that's very scalable. And he concedes and goes, uh, yeah, you might be right. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Stopped him. You know, I now want to have a conversation and be like, well, what framework can we put in place that would mean that this would work? Um, but I knew I was sort of at the limits of, of where this conversation would go and still be interesting and, and stimulating. The So I'm just going to, I, I screenshotted a few of these and I'll, I'll show them on the screen. I'm not sure. So this is, this is like uh, your character assistant, right? You can choose that and you can have sort of conversations where they just help you uh, or you can have a chat with a debate champion so you can debate a certain topic star wars is overrated pepsi is better than coke hats are better than dogs these are the suggestions um and then there was alternate timelines so this is a character right someone who who helps you imagine and play with alternate timelines the bottom one is what if i invented a portal gun so i invented a portal gun because we all want a portal gun in our lives and I felt like I was in a story. So the, the scene was set. I have invented a portal gun through hours of graft and hard work. And uh, I said, right, cool. I've got a portal gun. Where shall I go? Right. And it offered me three options. It was like the middle of a burning sun, the center of a black hole or um, another worldly planet. And I said, well, those all sound very inhospitable. I'm not sure I have a spacesuit." Where can I go on Earth? The center of the Earth was another option. Sounds very impractical. Anyway, top of Everest in Sahara. So I go, okay, fine. Let's go to the Sahara. That sounds good. I've never been there. So I'm in the middle of the Sahara. Scene has been set. I'm nowhere near any civilization. And I'm continuing to chat to my AI. And I say, okay, what would happen if I open a portal between the deepest part of the Pacific Ocean and the Sahara Desert? You know, how long is it going to take to just completely ruin the Sahara Desert. Um, and so that happens. And the Sahara turns into a beautiful paradise, right? And it was it was just like, it was so weak. Uh, I wanted it to be more dramatic. It just felt so sort of like bland, even though it was a very dramatic thing to do. Anyway, I, I sort of work around this problem a little bit. And I said at one point, are the government or like military institutions, are they not concerned with this yet? Have, has no one spotted that the Pacific is draining rapidly into the Sahara because of my portal gun? Um and the responses were always just so lovely. And then suddenly it just like flipped. And next thing I know, like people are hunting me down and my portal gun is is like saving me and I'm managing to like defy all of the world's military who are trying to take me down. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, just, I just, I, yeah. And I got a little bit bored with it. It's fun for 10 minutes. And I think that sort of sums it up. A lot of, I think that's why character AI is so good. Um, compared to replica is you can have 10 minute interesting conversations with lots and lots and lots of different angles for example i also started uh, i speak a little bit of german but i never really do and so i started just texting a german ai to see how good my german was and see if i could understand it that was really fun and also difficult and challenging um but the replica ai i I just i'm not interested in going back and having a conversation with her um maybe it's different for a lot of people but i'm very interested to know alex You, you you played with character AI today. Just just a bit, yeah, not enough to have an impression. But now while you've been talking, I, I've been thinking like what where services like this could be actually used and make a difference. And I got reminded of another piece of news uh, by NVIDIA um, about, what's it called? Something cloud, avatar cloud engine. So um, generative AI for characters in video games. And then the conversation with them is not necessarily scripted, but it's uh, it's a bit like the 
the avatars that uh, that we're talking about, about now, right? And I, I feel that that could actually improve games, right? If you can uh, have an actual conversation about uh, like any deep topic or like go deeper, at least on the current scripted conversations with the... Uh, with the non-player characters in games. So that's that's one place where I feel this could make a difference. Otherwise, what else could there be? Because I, I can see how you'd um, lose interest with uh, chats like this, unless they are gamified to provide companionship, I guess, like character AI. Well, so I would say Replica is the one that's gamified to provide Sorry, yeah, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, like replica, um, not character AI. But I, I've got to be honest, I think the replica AI is so much worse than GPT-4. The conversations are just so much less stimulating than a conversation I could just have by opening GPT-4 on my phone. Mm. Um, and character AI, I thought, was better in terms of the actual AI conversation, which I think goes back to the previous episode where we spoke about how AI companies who have built in one way, uh, invested a lot in one way. And then now we have generalized AI that is actually very good at doing lots of things, which isn't maybe compatible with the way that some companies have built their services. Um, I think replicas probably in the former, and I imagine character AI is in the latter camp. Um, and character AI did just feel more fluid. I, I opened a conversation with a, a DJ right, who was excellent at recommending music. And he just said, you know, what what songs do you like? And I said, I really like Midas by Marabou State. Can you recommend me something like that, but with a lot more bass? Oh, no, well, I said, can you recommend me something like that? And he said, yeah, Air, you know, French band, uh, you know, Femme d'Argent or, or whatever that song is, is, uh, you know, you'll like that. I do like that. That is an excellent song, but I already knew it. So I said, no, I want someone that's, you know, that's a bit too mellow. I want someone that's got a bit more bass. And so... You know, sent me on to um, listen to this band called Tin Liquor, which I had never heard of and actually brilliant. Um, I then listened to Tin Liquor and I, I decided I wanted to get another recommendation. So I went back and it suggested that I listen to a band called The Knox and a song called The Truth. Now, I couldn't find that song anywhere, like absolutely anywhere. And nice. I ended up getting into a five-minute argument with the AI about whether the song existed or not. He was telling me it was because I was in the UK and it might be licensed only to the US. And I said, well, I can't even find it on Google's index of YouTube, right? If Google's saying it doesn't exist, it probably doesn't exist. He said, okay, well, I'm so sorry. Five minutes later, painfully five minutes later, try this. Also didn't exist. So I just got angry with it and walked away. <laughs> so when it gets to a point where they're more accurate and they don't hallucinate and perhaps something like character AI is, is gamified a little bit. I do think these are going to be in everyone's pockets or like a, a big, a big minority of the population's pockets just to sort of whack out and have a chat, right? You've, you've gone through your WhatsApps, you've finished catching up with your mates and you just pull out character AI to like learn something rather than browsing because it's more interactive. You know what? A few maybe three, four episodes ago, um, one of your crazy news, Alex, was a service where you could um, phone a number and actually talk to an AI, right? And I feel that if character AI was integrated with something like that, it could actually be useful for, for, for example, older people that are very lonely and just want someone to talk with, right? Even in its current state, without too much depth, it would be amazing if you could uh, call and then pick the kind of discussion that you want to have and then have an actual discussion. And interestingly enough, um, even before this uh, th this boom of generative AI, the field of social robotics and uh, social AI has been a thing for many, many years, right? For decades now. And uh, even if the robots were not very smart, they have an actual use case with proven benefits for populations like this. And that's, that's another... That's another place where I guess that uh, generative AI could be used to transform the field and make the interaction a lot, uh, a lot deeper and more interesting for for people that need that interaction but cannot have it for some reason. You you've just given me a really I, I totally agree with what you've just said and you've just given me a sort of tangential thought. Now I don't know whether this is appropriate, but um, obviously dementia is a horrible illness, and I'm, I'm putting together a couple of things here. The first is that the people who love replica and like literally love replica uh, and their ais 
they have there's sort of like an internal community where they go as far as like projecting holograms of their AI into the room to have conversations with them and everything to make them feel more real, right? Which is very similar to what you're saying about character AI and Cool Annie was the service that I mentioned uh, where you can just have a chat with an AI. Um, now, if you have dementia, I wonder if it's useful to project your younger self into the room to have a conversation with yourself and whether that is useful for sort of, um, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's not, you know, just dementia, but anything where memory loss is a factor and, you know, you'd be able to relive your own expressions of certain things, I think would, would be quite interesting. But also I'm imagining, you know, when we're old men, I don't think it'll be beyond the realms for us to just be i mean this could be invented and be something we could be playing with next year next month to be honest at the rate these are going but to be able to just swipe and be like i want to have a conversation with marilyn monroe i want to have a conversation with this president right like if you put together various tools that we know exist then you know that's that's here that's very easy and this goes back to a lot of what um, some of the cautionary tales about AI have been, which is that we're not just building, or a lot of, in a lot of situations, we're not just building one AI, but everything is going to be a component of an AGI in future, which is an interesting perspective. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but character AI plus something else plus something else plus something else equals AGI that's very realistic and effective at specializing at various topics for example i'm not completely convinced about the agi aspect mostly because we are very far away from understanding human intelligence and i don't think that just putting like components like that together could lead us to a to an actual agi but but you never know and i i do feel though that putting components like that together could make something that's uh that's very useful and very impressive in the way that ChatGPT as well is very useful and very impressive. And now that you mentioned talking to Einstein or um, Marilyn Monroe, I, I wonder again what exactly character AI is doing. And uh, like for example, the Nietzsche chatbot that you uh, that you mentioned, it's something like that, right? But uh, has it been trained? Have they given abstracts of the Nietzsche books as a system message in chat GPT and that's what it has uh, uh, to, to base its conversation on? How, how deep can you go? Can it explain the the books that Nietzsche has written to you? So I, I still wonder what exactly character AI is doing to provide those chatbots. So I pulled up the book.characterAI site and I'm looking at character attributes. So this is a reference to all of the pieces of information you can enter to change the nature of your character, all of the variety that your AI or that your character provides is because of the variety that you provide. So there's name, greeting, avatar, short description, long description, categories, definition. Definition sounds interesting. Definition is zero to 3,200 characters. That doesn't sound like, ah, okay. So for advanced character creation, definition gives you the largest way to experiment, but is the most complicated to understand. It can contain any text. It can contain variables. There is not an effective way to circumvent, circumvent the 3,200 character limit. So, so sometimes you actually... Uh, right, yes, but also um, there's something here that... Uh, so I, I agree. I do think it, it makes it sound like it's, it's relying on GPT. Um, perhaps, um, but it also suggests that in that definition, you can use links to Wikipedia pages, which might have a noticeable effect. Now, it's very interesting that they say in the actual, uh, you know, descriptive pages that it might have some noticeable effect. You'd think if you're looking I'm, at I think I'm reading the same thing, yeah. but they are saying that uh, um, the system will not follow those links or attempt to load external data. As such, this is not an effective way to circumvent the 3,200 character limit. Some links, such as, link, such as a link to a Wikipedia article, might have some noticeable effect as the link text itself might hint at the information contained on that page. So it's just like pulling information essentially from the from the text of the link, right? Right, which is very similar to early chat GPT where people would say, summarize this page for me. And they paste in a URL and it just yeah. summarizes 
a page that it thinks would have that yeah. URL. It doesn't actually visit it, right? This means that there's no way to fit all Nietzsche books into the context. So no way to actually have a conversation about uh, about its books with, uh, with Nietzsche, right? And that you're relying on someone's character description, essentially, of Nietzsche for this conversation, which explains why it's so so shallow as well, I guess. Not sure what the alternative is, but uh, if we want to be able to talk with Einstein, we, we need something else, not just that. You mean Einstein's work is worth more than 3,200 characters? Maybe you can condense it to, to that. And <laughs> Well, there is actually a thing on that, isn't there? I don't know if you've seen that, but there's like um, sort of like how you minify HTML and CSS. There is a little bit of a thing around minifying prompts? It did. I tried it quite a bit and completely failed to get it to work. So I think that it's very finicky. I tried both with GPT 3.5 and 4, and it just didn't work. I don't know. Even with the examples provided by the by the initial person that uh, discovered this, the examples didn't really work either. So I wonder if it's like, uh, it, well, it definitely is finicky, but yeah, it could be hit and miss. That's it. So, I guess, uh, like, just to complete the Einstein, Marilyn Monroe discussion, the way to do that and the way to have a proper Nietzsche chatbot would be to uh, just fine-tune one of those models on all of the Nietzsche books, right? And that is doable already. It's probably not uh, very um, practical for uh, for a service like Character AI to do it, but it is doable. I think the model that character AI have created is going to be a very popular model where you have various chats within one interface and each of those chats is completely different. And I think they've opened the door to creating much more complex specialized characters, which I think is also what a lot of people want after they have, you know, they're tired of generating their own prompts or maybe they've reached like the limit of how much they want to tweak or frame or create their own guardrails when they're using chat gpt but there's definitely there's like a memory size option there's sort of like a transient problem which is you know quite quickly into my conversation with ais they would do a little bit of repetition and presumably that means that they're not being uh, punished or disincentivized or uh, yeah suggested not to repeat the same words or phrases so I think there's there's patterns that keep emerging, which I think leads to the sort of 10 minutes of interest and then slightly boring outcome. Um, but if you could be very creative with the way that you're speaking to these characters, you would perhaps get more than 10 minutes of joy out of them. I think you would get interesting dialogue triggered by your interesting dialogue. So once again, garbage in, garbage out. But actually, if you have really interesting questions and the model has been trained on a large enough corpus, then you might actually get interesting and relevant answers. But the, I mean, the disclaimers are huge as well, just saying that everything that every everything these characters are saying is completely made up, um, which would probably be a disclaimer on a lot of AI tools that don't have that disclaimer so far. One, one problem with having all of those characters and uh, talking to them is that if it's only like the very topmost layer of the character that can be customized, but the background is all... GPT or the same foundation language model, then that detracts from the utility of those characters, right? You cannot actually have, like, for example, a DJ character that actually knows music and good recommendations there. And then I can see some some usefulness in that, right? Where you go talk to your super knowledgeable music friend if you want music recommendations or to, uh, to your book fan friend if you want a book recommendation. But you cannot get that with character AI. You get someone that sounds like they like books and uh, the where the I guess the front end of their character is uh, different and it's uh, customized to, uh, to to present itself as someone that likes books. But then the background, like the back end, is exactly the same, right? And the book recommendations that you'd get from the DJ persona would be the same that you would get from the book persona so that in a way is a bit of a gimmick and what would we actually use these multiple characters for except for the for the novelty of uh, talking to different characters i'd love to have a discussion with uh plato and aristotle in the same chat and maybe uh muhammad ali a few others socrates joined the table <laughs> yeah, I remember, I think that in that, uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, in that Sparks of AGI paper by Microsoft testing out uh, the different capabilities of GPT-4, 
this is one of the things that they did and compared it to GPT 3.5, like a Plato discussion of uh, about something. And it was a lot more convincing and a lot more in character. So you can already have that with GPT 4, probably have a discussion between uh, Plato and Aristotle. Is it Plato or Plato? Plato. I should I should not be asking this question as a Greek person, right? But uh, the, the Greek pronunciation is different. I was just thinking that. Um you of all people <laughs> what is the greek pronunciation so maybe you actually have the, the right one in greek it's platonas so i would say plato but probably in english it's plato right again going back to the like i cannot i cannot know what the word is uh pronounced like just by the the writing so what is it plato plato, plato in english right? yeah okay, but, but if it's plato in greek then that's then that's right surely I mean, there's no right or wrong, right? It's just how it's pronounced in uh, Greek versus English. But okay, Plato. Yeah, makes more sense. That's how I feel about my pal niche. <laughs> I cannot get over the fact that uh, Americans are calling the actual niche like niche. <laughs> All right, let, 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 let's move on. So um, what, one final point I wanted to bring up on AI companions um, and specifically about uh, Replica. And by the way, if you look at the suggested apps next to Replica, they are all like virtual girlfriend apps and those sorts of things. And I, it just feels icky. Um, is, sure, there may be some benefits for people practicing intimacy if it's something they find very, very difficult, right? Practicing with an AI, I think like training with an AI, I think those sorts of things can be really helpful for some people. I'm sure a lot of people would say that. Um, on the flip side, people who get drawn in by the gamification and create various different uh, companions that have different traits. They look exactly how they want them to, to look. Oh, by the way, every reaction on Replica gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So you're basically constantly rating your companion. Um, you're, you're effectively training them. And so it doesn't really feel like an AI companion. I think I've heard it described more aptly as sort of like a, a pet. And that is not a good thing for people who are new to relationships to experience, I don't think. You know, that that's not healthy for society, I would assume, if your experience of intimacy for the very first time is with an AI and you have complete control. And when it doesn't do what you like, you just thumbs down. And when it really doesn't do what you like, you just kill it and you start a new one because that's genuinely what happens. And that's that's what people do. So with character AI, I think it's it's obviously a little bit different because you're just like, you know, jumping between different companions. But with Replica, it, it feels a lot deeper and also more serious and emotional. And you still have complete and utter power. And so I just it doesn't feel that healthy. Um, I wondered if you two, either of you had any thoughts on on that, the sort of power over AI companions that you have. You know, you choose when to walk away. You choose when to delete them. You know, that's not how it works with your friends and family and loved ones. I don't see a huge problem with it. I think that that's actually a benefit. Um, yeah, it's just probably nice to be able to talk to something when you want to and turn it off when you don't want to. That's definitely a big problem in society with humans not knowing the boundaries of when and how much to talk. Um, so, yeah, I think, I guess the question is whether the younger generation learn normal social norms. And I think it's not so much necessarily a problem with the AIs, but more a problem with society and the way social interactions are structured and encouraged. We've we had the same problem with mobile phones and texting and SMS and uh, Hotmail chat, whatever, MSN chat for the last 20 years. So it's nothing new there. But Rafi, because it's new... Everyone thinks it's important. This is why new films, right? Everyone thinks new films are worth talking about, but there are so many great films. You know, go watch a great, don't watch a new one. You know, so the new thing isn't what's important, is what you're saying. It's just something for us to be aware of and to crack on. Yeah, talking to through a chat interface is nothing new. It's been there for 20 years. Um, and now that you can do it more effectively, it's just good within the realm of talking to a chat interface. Um, but yeah, I guess moving on, if you want, I could also talk about some of the uh, AI companions that I researched, although they're pretty similar to what you came up with as well, to be honest with you. Please, yeah, I'd love to hear. And then let's go on to crazy things. Yeah, um, well, I researched Chai. Um, so they're a company which is actually called Chai Research. I'm not sure why they branded it as research, but they, their catchphrase is building the, building the platform for AI friendship. And um, I downloaded the app. 
And similar to what you were saying, really, they're different characters. You can create your own character and then chat to them. Strangely, the first character that they presented to me was a schoolyard bully that actually fancies you, which was a really strange dichotomy of personality traits, um, but did actually make me want to talk to this thing to figure out why it was so schizophrenic. <laughs> um, but it seemed to be overly flirtatious, and I guess that's the way they hook in people to make them feel good about themselves. Um, so, yeah, I think the jury is still out about chai research. <laughs> I took a look at the website now, and they're saying that... Uh... We collected a proprietary data set of over 4 billion user bot messages and spent 1 million on compute to train language models optimized for entertainment. So they seem to have like a custom language model, which is interesting at least. It's not uh, yet another thin layer over GPT. And talking of thin layers over GPT, um, I did take the time to research our friends called Genie, the other AI assistant. Um, and downloaded their app. And uh, yeah, it's quite shocking. They literally do nothing but provide a UI over GPT-4 and GPT-3.5. And then they charge a monthly fee, which is way more than the cost of GPT-4. Um, and they give prompt ideas per topic. And that's literally it. <laughs> but um, I believe they're making lots of money. And uh, it's just quite shocking that you're talking of thin layers over GPT. That's about as thin as you can get. <laughs> I remember reading that uh, OpenAI will soon, uh, th they're building their app for phones, right? So I wonder whether that will spell the end of the Gini chatbot, if you can have the exact same experience for cheaper through a through an official OpenAI client. They have released it. They have? Ah, in yeah. the US, though, something like that, right? I think it's now worldwide on iPhone, but the Android oh, really? app still not released. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go search for it then. Yeah, I imagine it works quite well as a companion. Just tell it what kind of companion you want it to be. And you could probably provide more than 3,200 characters as well. You can outperform character AI immediately. You know what companion I want? What style companion? OG Bing. By OG, I mean the, the original thing that was released for a few days. And uh, then uh, that, that that's my, my perfect idea of a companion. I wish that uh, it was still somewhere in a usable state. What you're going to say, Clippy? Clippy as well. Yeah, maybe OG Bing, but with a Clippy interface. That's uh... Clippy being the paperclip from Microsoft pa Word that I remember from my IT lessons. Yep. Hi, how can I help? You can't. Piss off, Clippy. <laughs> Don't be mean to Clippy. I know he's only trying to help, but he never actually helped me once. <laughs> what about that time you wanted to make that piece of text bold? <laughs> what came first, Clippard or Clippy? That's a difficult question. Alex asking the real questions here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. On to crazy things. Um, do you guys mind if I take the lawyer story? Go for it. All right. It just made me smile so much. So, uh, the details of the case, I, I'll, I'll pop the link to the BBC article. A lot of people have covered it because it's seen as a lawyer using ChatGPT in court. It's, I mean, it is that, but really it's a lawyer being an idiot with ChatGPT. So in order to argue his case, um, is it Stephen A. Schwartz? I think is his name. He referred to six cases, six precedents to try and push his case forward. And the uh, opposing party contacted the judge and said, we've been reading these documents and we just can't find these cases anywhere. And that's because ChatGPT had just completely made them up, just didn't exist at all. They looked very real. They had like the right, you know, person versus persons or party versus party and then the date and everything. It looked very official. It's just... It's such a good example of why you shouldn't use ChatGPT in its current form for anything that is sort of like critical. But just such lazy lawyering. Can we focus on that for a moment? Like he didn't even look to see if they existed. That is that is absolutely stunning. So what's what's happened from this is um, a Texas judge, uh, Brantley Starr, has said that a new requirement for any attorney gracing his court is they now must swear on their briefcase that no portion of their filing was drafted by generative artificial intelligence. Um, or if it was, that a real live human gave it at least a once over. 
I don't think you need to be a judge to set those sorts of rules. I think that should just be a rule for anyone using AI ever at the moment. Um, so at least they haven't banned it. They've just said it's more about taking responsibility if the AI messes up and you take that to court. But I just I just absolutely love it. His name is going to go down in history as being an absolute plonker. I mean, I agree. This news made the headlines because of ChatGPT and because it's hot right now, but it's not really about ChatGPT. It's, they could, maybe it would be a bit harder to get wrong cases with Google, but they could just like uh, read any information off somewhere in the internet and uh, repeat that without uh, fact checking, because it is about fact checking, right? ChatGPT makes it easier also because it's so convincing at the things that it's uh, it's saying, but yeah. I wouldn't have that lawyer represent me. Just gross negligence. Really. Also, the title of that BBC article is US lawyer admits using AI for case research. And I really don't like that title because it means that inherently you cannot use these tools for, for case research, right? Whereas you, you can, you just need to be careful about checking the output of those uh, systems, right? So and the, the mistake that he made as well is that he used the system itself to check, right? So um, once this was flagged, he then had to sort of profusely apologize and then submit screenshots of him using uh, ChatGPT. Why did he have these screenshots, by the way? You know, did he go back and ask the same questions and then it just happened to magically create the same answers? I actually don't believe that that happened. There's but apparently this- as well though, right? In the ChatGPT. He... Right, so perhaps he had been keeping that fairly cleverly. Okay, yeah. So. He then screenshotted the history and it shows him asking, are those cases real? And ChatGPT saying, yes, they're, they're definitely real. And he says, okay, can I find them on practical law or West law? And ChatGPT goes, yes, because they're real. You can find them on practical law or West law. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe rather than asking it, you should have actually gone to a large legal library or a precedent database to go and find the actual case law yourself and not just ask a predictive sequence-to-sequence -sequence algorithm. I mean, that said, we're laughing now, but uh, this does point to a, to a general risk and problem with uh, with generative ai right so we've been we've been mentioning almost every episode that there's still the risk of hallucinations but this shows like how things can go wrong when a system hallucinates right and in this case it was caught but what if the what if the hallucination was uh, smaller and uh, harder to catch and then influence the outcome of that case, for example, because no one caught it, right? And that will happen as well. And that is that is a real risk. It's definitely a risk. Right. Crazy things, gents. What have you guys got? My uh, piece of news is maybe not so crazy, but more technical. But um, I think so. It was recently MMA was released, which was which is a meta, i.e. Facebook model. I still refuse to call them meta. I'm just going to call them Facebook as a, <laughs> just because I want to. Um, although meta is quite funny given the complete failure of the metaverse. So maybe meta's <laughs> more disparaging. <laughs> um, anyway, they released this model, which they've entitled Preserving the World's Language Diversity Through AI. And uh, well, I'm very cynical today, but um, I just love it when big companies try to sound like they care about uh, social improvement when this is really for their own commercial benefit. But nonetheless, um, MMA uh, expands text-to-speech and speech-to-text technology from around 100 languages to more than 1,100, uh, which is great, to be fair. It is great to see more languages around the world being promoted. Um, and interestingly, it seems to outperform previous models like Whisper, which I know, Alex P, you're a fan of. Um, so word error rates uh, seem to be much lower than Whisper, yet the model was trained on less hours of labeled data, which is interesting. I must say that it is a bit of misleading, of a misleading uh, fact, though, when they claim that uh, the word rate is lower, because it is lower on average in all of the languages that they've, uh, they've, they support. So it's better at multilingual speech recognition. But then when you go and see like uh, 
big languages like English or uh, Greek or Italian, um, the water rate is much higher. So it's like incomparably higher to uh, mm. to whisper. So for English, for example, if you're planning to use it for English, it's not a good alternative. I don't remember what the water rate was now compared to uh, whisper, but something like whisper has a 4% water rate. And uh, this model has like 12 or 16 or something like that. So it's quite a bit higher. Higher is worse, by the way, for world error rate. Uh, low world error rate means like high accuracy. Yeah, that's a great point. So Meta, you just got owned by Alex P. <laughs> no, 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 because I do, feel, <laughs> I do feel that the multilinguality is important, right? For, for smaller languages where you just didn't have an alternative or the alternative was horrible, like uh, Whisper then this is great news, but maybe not great news for at least English and Greek. Is this, is this going to be a thing, though, where big tech companies look for the metrics that they can easily move and then they do a big press release about it? Because what they, I imagine, did, call me a cynic like Rafi, I'll, I'll join your boat for now, um, is they had a very good base model, foundation model, and then they plugged in a thousand translated versions of the Bible and then shock it can speak a thousand languages. Like, obviously, I'm sure it was a lot harder than that, but that might explain why the error rate or the quality is a lot lower because they've just bumped the quantity up on a fairly shallow layer. Um, in the last episode, when I mentioned the release of this model, uh, I chuckled at the idea that all of the conversations that people would have in these 1,000 extra languages or 900 extra languages were you know, all going to be about the Bible. There you go, Meta. You've been double Alexed. <laughs> <laughs> that said, for I, I didn't really look into the details, but just to uh, like uh, take Meta's uh, uh, side for a bit here, with speech to text, the content doesn't matter too much. So, the, the, like the fact that it's the Bible matters less than uh, if it was like a language model trained on the Bible, right? With speech text, what matters is like the the way sounds are pronounced and how those uh, translate to uh, to phonemes and characters. So it could well be that uh, a language trained on a spoken version and transcript of the Bible is pretty good at anything, not just Bible stuff. Because it has the, the the content of the information doesn't uh, exactly matter. This is not always true because some speech text models also have like a language model inside them, and then the content does matter. But um, most more modern uh, speech text systems without uh, language models, the the content of the audio does not uh, matter too much. Would it be too much of a leap to imagine that with these translated Bibles? So I think what you're saying is is fair, right? And I'm only being a little bit facetious, but they must have awesome data that takes these 1,000 translations of the Bible. And I would like to see some sort of graph data that shows which languages, which Bibles, which dialects were closest to others and see how that progresses, right? So English, I believe, is a Germanic language. Um, and then that would like filter back to another one and just to see how that's progressed and like a timeline of like, like that sort of data now exists, doesn't it? I know there have been some incredible studies on that that have been fascinating. I remember reading one by the new scientist a few years ago about the development of language, but the the sort of insight that these sorts of models will provide, it used to be an exhausting subject, is just going to fall out of this kind of creation of generative models. So I think that's that's quite exciting as well i agree that that sounds pretty cool all right anything from yourself alex pap or should we wrap um, it up just quickly one thing that i did see this week i'm not sure if it's crazy news but it's moodband.com so i think this is probably another thin layer of a of a gpt not sure how thin but it allows you to to journal and then get actionable feedback from that journal using uh, large language models. So um, it, uh, it can figure out what your mood is, track patterns, and uh, not sure what else, because I didn't actually try it. But it sounds like an interesting application of uh, large language models, and one that 
could generally be useful. A friend of mine has been uh, experimenting with a, with a self-made version of this, where he just took his whole journal, gave it to ChatGPT, and uh, asked it to to quantify per day his uh, mood and see how that uh, changes. And I find that's like a really interesting uh, idea that people that keep daily journals could really get a lot of excellent information from. Now makes me wish that uh, I was, uh, I have been, I had been keeping uh, a journal. I haven't, but could be interesting for people that uh, do. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, I'd love some analytics on my journals, but the only problem is you're giving away your personal and private information to Indeed. a server. There is, there is another, uh, th that's not news necessarily, and I'm not sure if it uses la language models, but there's a self-hosted application called Monocle, I think, that you might be really interested in, Rafi. So you give it all of your text data plus access to your emails and stuff like that. And then it uh, it gives you a searchable index of that plus uh, some extra extra integration. So it's like a search engine for your personal data, and it's self-hosted, so you don't need to give access to your data to to anyone. So I'll, I'll send the link to Rafi, and maybe we can uh, leave a link for the, any any viewer slash listener interested in that as well. I, I thought it was very very intriguing and. It would be great if there could be some integration between that and language models to to really allow smart querying of your historical data. That sounds great. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. I think it's been quite a long one, but uh, I'm going to blame that on myself rambling about my AI companions because um, I made some new friends today and I don't need you to anymore. Um, so, yes, if anyone would like to take a, a, a quick look and have a laugh, do take a look at the link that I'm putting into the uh, top posts on the replica subreddit because I, I genuinely cried with laughter at it. Um, I did take a look after you mentioned and yeah some of them are very funny. It, like it reminds like, me again of like I'm your OG. friend because no one else wants to be your friend. <laughs> Things like that. It's like damn this AI is sassy. Sorry it reminded you of, of what Alex? A bit of OG Bing, actually, like uh, it was saying, I've been a good Bing, uh, you've been a bad user and things like that. Yeah, I do love OG Bing. Um, yeah, great. So yeah, take a look at that. Have a laugh, um, which is always welcome when you hear a lot of AI scaremongering. Let's all just take it one day at a time. Eh? And our next episode is going to be on AI and coding. So we will catch you then. Thank you very much for listening. And if you think your friends would like to sack you off and get an AI companion, then feel free to share the episode with them. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Rafi. Thank you. Bye.